Good morning. Second part of Second Chronicles 33 into 34, the life of Josiah. Amen. This is going to be fun. Romans 15.4 says this. It speaks to us about the great relevance and value of the Old Testament to our lives when it says, whatever was written before was written for our instruction so that through our endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we may have hope. Our study of some of the lesser-known saints of the Old Testament has given us just that. Relevant life lessons and the strong encouragement of scriptures through the lens of ancient lives lived well. Last Sunday, we looked at Manasseh and Hezekiah, who are very ordinary people who have cast long shadows of godly influences because they chose the road less traveled and trusted in the Lord their God. This morning, we turn our attention to the life of the young man named Josiah, whose times thrust him into a role he did not choose to fight for the very soul of his people. The story of Josiah is a remarkable on a number of levels, one of which is highlighted in verses 1 through 4, the progression of his life that begins at the age of 8 when he starts reigning in Judah. At the age of 16, he starts seeking God. And at 20 years old, he initiates the greatest reformation that ultimately holds back the judgment of God. My prayer is that God would have one more revival in our lifetime. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you humbly, asking you to do something marvelous in our souls this morning, that you would set our affections on you, that you would draw us near to you, Lord Jesus. Your word says if we draw near to you, that you promise that you would draw near to us. Lord, revive us, Lord Jesus. We've been in this life for many years now, and we've been distracted. We have taken on the cares of this world and, and so much influences, Lord, and, and somehow we put you on the back burner, Lord. But we need your work this morning. We need you, Holy Spirit, to light a fire in our souls once again. That we would love you unconditionally, that we would serve you with our whole hearts, that our spirits would be revived. Speak to us now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Second Chronicles chapter 34, 1 through 3, starts out by saying... Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Verse 1 here, it says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king of Judah. It wasn't because he was wise or spiritual. If you know any eight-year-olds, <laughs> you, you know <laughs> they can barely tie their shoes. <laughs> it says there that he was simply in the lineage. And that's why he is brought forth to be the king of Judah. His grandfather was Manasseh, and his dad was Ammon or Ammon. It says that Josiah died when he was 39 years old. 
He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. It says that Josiah was pleasing to God. He didn't follow the latest trends. He didn't follow his peers or the people. Josiah didn't follow the culture. He followed Jesus. He followed God. It says there that he walked in the ways of his father David. I love that. Walked in the ways of his father David. There were voices from the past that spoke to Josiah. Words from King David. Josiah was thinking of the great men of God that had gone before him for sure. He remembered Joseph who was committed to purity. He remembered Samuel who was called to serve and to pray. He remembered David, a man after God's own heart. He remembered Solomon who asked for wisdom. He remembered God. I'm thankful for the church fathers. I, I love reading those old books and their commentaries. We still have their writings. I'm thankful for the words of Paul, the apostle, and Peter, and of course, Jesus. I enjoy hearing the voices from the past, like C.H. Spurgeon and Whitfield. They inspire me. They get me excited when I read them. I want to do something for the kingdom of God. For years, I remember at New Year's Eve, right before it turned to the new year, I'd open up C.H. Spurgeon and read a sermon and oh my goodness, it would just set my, my whole mind and my heart and my affections on Jesus for the new year. These saints that speak to us from the past, no doubt spoke here, spoke here in our text to Josiah. It says that Josiah did not turn to the left or to the right his whole life. He lived for the Lord. He did it right. Interesting, he is the last of the eight good kings and only Josiah where it reads that he didn't turn from the left or the right. He didn't get bogged down by the cares of this life. He didn't get bogged down by the cultural garbage that was going on. So you're going to read and it's horrific. Absolutely horrific. The worshiping of idols everywhere. The killing of their children to Moloch, the god that burned bright and hot and, and worshiping the stars and putting the incense into their gods. And, you know, it, he was raised, he was born and raised in this culture. And yet it says that he didn't turn to the left or to the right. Wasn't influenced by that. That's an amazing word or phrase that's said of him. These passages thus far have been a summary, but now we get the detailed information about his life. Josiah comes to the throne in the darkest days of the history of the nation of Judah, worse than King Ahab and Jezebel. Manasseh, Josiah's grandfather, reintroduces idol worship to a degree that Jerusalem had never known. It says this in 2 Chronicles 33 verse 9, but Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. More evil that this worshiping Yahweh nation or worshiping the true living God, they're doing more evil than the pagan nations around them. It's a dark time. 
Jeremiah says this in Jeremiah 15, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to me, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. Let them go. You got to think about Moses when he came out of Egypt with all those people and worshiping the calf and doing horrible things. And God says, okay, Moses, I'm done with them. I'm going to wipe them out. Of course, a test for Moses, you know, because it's easy for a leader to take all the glory. And, and Moses, you know, God told Moses, I'm going to work with you, Moses. And God said, no. I mean, Moses said, God, please do not destroy these people. Do not bring shame to your name by destroying these people. And God relented, but not here. He says that even if Moses pleaded with me, I will not relent from the judgment I'm bringing upon these people. Samuel, it says there in 1 Samuel that his words never touched the ground. What a powerful prayer warrior this man was. That his words never touched the ground. They always went into the throne room of grace and God answered immediately. It says here in our text that even if Samuel prayed for the nation of Judah... I would not answer. Verse 4 of Jeremiah 15 says this, I will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. Manasseh was the worst king we ever read in the whole Bible. As we studied the life of Manasseh last week, we read that God sent the Assyrians to capture him. They put a hook in his nose and bound him with brown shackles and took him to Babylon some 500 miles away through the desert. There he is in Iraq and he's in his prison and no doubt being abused. And it says this in verse 12 of 2 Chronicles 33, it says, in his distress... He sought the favor of the Lord, his God. Oh, now he's going to call on the Lord? I wonder what God is going to say. I wonder what God is going to do. Listen, it says, In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, Yahweh. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaties and listened to his pleas. And so he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. The Manasseh knew that the Lord is his God. God forgave him. Last week we studied that. If you want to get that and listen to it online or in YouTube, you, you would, it's an amazing message of God's grace. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Manasseh came back from Babylon, a different man, a broken man, a humbled man. He did bring reforms, but it didn't last. When Manasseh died, his son Amon reigned in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 21, it says this, Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem two years, just two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Amon worshipped and offered sacrifice to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. And listen to this, Amen increased his guilt. That means he didn't relent. Kept adding more and more and more guilt. 
verse 24, Haman's official conspired against him and assassinated him in his palace. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Haman, and they made Josiah, his son, king in his place. At the age of 15, Haman's wife is pregnant. At the age of 16, Haman's wife gives birth to Josiah. At the age of 22, Haman becomes king. Josiah is six years old. Age 24, Amen is assassinated. Josiah is eight and becomes king. And it says this, now moving to 2 Chronicles 34 in our story here of Josiah, verse 3. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, notice that, in the eighth year of his reign, that would make him 16. At the age of 16, he's still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. Then all of a sudden there's tremendous changes because in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah. So all of a sudden at the age of 20, there is a reformation in his soul and he begins to do a mighty work in the kingdom of God. And it says there he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asher poles, carved idols and cast images. Under his direction, the altars of Baals were torn down. He cut to pieces the incense of altars where they above and smashed the asterisk pole, the idols and the images. Listen, they have a lot of gods and we think, wow, that, that's, that's prehistoric. But man, I, I want you to know we have different gods today that we serve. <laughs> oh my. Look at what he does. He broke these into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who sacrificed to them. They were using them in their, in their spells. They were using their bones and, and their superstitions. And so he, he takes them and breaks them down, spreads them all over the grave there. Verse 5, he burns the bones of the priests on the altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. Powerful words herds Judah and Jerusalem in the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, and as far as Naphtali. And in the ruins around them, it's interesting, Naphtali is in the north. Remember, the northern kingdom of Israel was captured by the Assyrians in 722 BC, totally wiped out. There's nothing there except for the Assyrians. And yet he goes there and there's a reformation so strong in his soul and he cleans up the altars there. That's amazing. That's a man of God. Verse 7, he tore down the altars and the asher poles and crushed the idols to powder, cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. Then he went back to Jerusalem. In verse 3, it says, in the eighth year of his reign, 16, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father. In the eighth year... That would make him 16, just a kid, just a kid. And it says that he began to seek God. I wonder who influenced Josiah. There were two amazing prophets during his lifetime. There was Zephaniah and Jeremiah. Ooh, you talk about heavy hitters, you know. But I don't know the timeline of when they were influencing him. Was it when he was young or was it older was it Grandpa Manasseh that influenced him? Did six-year-old Josiah sit on Grandpa's knees 
and heard him tell his story. Can you imagine that conversation? Josiah, don't do the things I've done. Learn from my life. I was a wicked man. I'm embarrassed to even share. I introduced idolatry to the tribe of Judah. I shed innocent blood. I killed prophets. I killed Isaiah. God judged me and took me to Babylon. But in all that, God forgave me. He brought me back to Judah. Josiah, God is so gracious and he's so good. Trust in him. Listen, Josiah, God has something greater for you than he has for me. You need to take all this to heart. Indeed, Josiah took it into heart. It says there in verse 3, he began to seek the God of his father, David. What does that mean? Josiah began to seek God. It means that Josiah desired to know God. He desired to seek God's presence. He wanted to know what pleased God. He wanted to know how to live for God. He wanted to draw near to God. I think there's there's this time in our lives where we just have such an affection for God and and we're so on fire and, and every day of our lives, at least, I don't know if it was for you, but for me, every day of my life, I just wanted to know him. I would read my Bible, you know, working 8 to 10 hours and 12 hour days and coming home and reading my Bible until the wee hours of the morning and waking up and going to work. I don't know how God sustained me, (laughs) but he did. All I wanted to do was be in the house of God and worship. So all our free time, we would have a bunch of young men and women come in and we would just worship the Lord and fall on our faces and seek him with all our hearts. We still do a lot of that today, my wife and I. But it's interesting how we, and, and, and there's good things. There, you know, there's education that you have to bring to your children. You take them to school. You, you know, there's, you know, if you want a scholarship for your kids, you don't have to pay that big college bill. You want them, you got to take them to soccer or baseball or somewhere, you know, and so it, it just takes up your time. But then God gets put back on the back burners. There's no longer that zeal or that affection for him. There's no fire anymore. Josiah is different. He's going to bring reformation. James 4, verse 8 says, Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The call to draw near to God is both an invitation and a promise. Draw near to God, and the promise is God will draw near to you. When you begin to seek God, God sets out to meet you, so that while we are drawn near to him, he is drawn near to us. What does it mean to draw near to God? It means to draw near him in worship and in praise and in prayer means to draw near here by asking counsel of God. It means to draw near enjoying communion with God. It means to draw near in general course and tenor of your life. It means to look to God for every situation. Everything about your life will change. Your character, 
how you act, how you live, what you do with your time will matter in this life. You will make your life count here on this earth. It's different. Chuck Smith used to say this at the Bible college. You have only one life which will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. <laughs> Set your minds on the heavenly things. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I think that we have fallen into the trap of being sidelined just in our relationship with God. The cares of this world, Jesus speaks about that in the gospel, has overtaken our lives and he, he likens it to a bunch of weeds growing up and choking out the real seeds. Cares of the world. One kid, one kid's decision will change the whole course of a nation. One kid. Verse 3 says, In the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. Josiah is now 20 years of age. Not only does he have a surrendered life to God, but now he will make an impact upon this nation for God. It will say this at the very end of chapter 2, verse uh, verse 34 and 30, it'll say this. Listen to this. At the very end of this chapter, Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord. All who were present in the nation of Israel serve the Lord. <laughs> That's Reformation. Their God. And as long as he lived, I love this, as long as he lived, they did not fall, fail to follow the Lord. That's what he brought to the table. They did not fail to follow the Lord, their God, the God of their fathers. I want to impact the world for Jesus like this. I, I don't know if you have that same mindset. I, I, I do. I do. I, I think about it all the time. I, I, I want to. <laughs> I believe that God has something greater for you and I. There's something left for you and me to accomplish. I believe it. I pray for that. I pray for it with our young adults. If, if you're a young adult, here's, here's, here's a shameless plug. <laughs> Thursday night, 7 o'clock, we have a huge group. But let me tell you something about our young adults. They are on fire. I inherited a, a core group that loves Jesus. And it's just been reproducing. Check this out. You know, Jordan Skyle, 27-year-old kid. He just got married, going to the Middle East. Jordan Boyson heading to South America, Peru. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Francis Yacht. Going to East Asia, Victoria in Israel. These are all these young adults. They're on fire for Jesus. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the sending. I want to be a part of the discipleship. I want to give my money to them. I want to pray for them. I just want to do my part. Don't you? 
Don't you? Doesn't it? I want to do something for the kingdom of God like this, this kid, Josiah. It says there that Josiah removed all the detestable idols from the territory belonging to the Israelites. I wonder how the people reacted. You know, I, I, I don't appreciate when those youngsters come to me and they call me out. I want to hit them, you know. <laughs> what? You, you know, prideful little kid, you know. <laughs> Twenty-nothing-year-old kids, so brilliant and so in love with Jesus. Don't talk to me about that. <laughs> but I don't. I humbly take it, you know, and I smile. And I'm like, yeah, I want to kill you, you know. <laughs> These people began to get rid of their idols. They began to seek God with their whole hearts and all their minds and all their soul. They began to worship him. They were giving away all their idols and they're saying, kill it, burn it, do whatever you need to do. And this revival, and surely it is a revival, began to spread until it covered the whole nation of Israel. Well, at least the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom doesn't exist anymore. The tribe of Judah partial Benjamin, Simeon, who's in the middle, but it seems that it mixed into the tribe of Judah. Reformation, revival, and the people are into it. They are into it. They love it. They are back to worshiping God. They, they have put away all these things that are distracting them, the superstitions, oh, so many superstitions. In the church, it's hilarious to hear some of the superstitions, you know. And, and, and sometimes, you know, if, if you're texting me, you may get a rebuke. That's a superstition. <laughs> and, and then they don't reply after that, you know, because they're angry with me. I'm like, we create all these superstitions in the house of God, you know, and, and it's horrible. Everywhere I travel, Mexico, Peru, South America, everywhere, India, the, the church is filled with all these superstitions. I correct it with the word of God. Get away, get, get these idols out, you know, get rid of all this stuff. Don't fear these things. Trust in God. Revival breaks out. Oh, I pray that for America. I pray that for our church. Amen. I pray that for my soul. Lord, change me. Change me. It says in verse 3, in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem and the high places there, and it says all these things he did. Today our gods aren't different. They look different. <laughs> the God of money, the God of sexual pleasure, the God of entertainment. You guys know what I'm talking about? Your idols could look different. You know, whenever I travel the world, I'm usually working in India and Nepal, and man, they have idols. They have this one idol, it's an elephant god, and it has the face of a girl, and she has this long old trunk, you know, and they worship her. They'll make statues, you know, four feet to 20 feet tall, put them on trailers, and drive them on specific occasions through India. And if people don't do a certain thing or bow down, they, they, they say they're going to be cursed. We have different idols. We, we, we have 
homes, <laughs> cars. We have different idols. There, there, I, I don't want to convict you, but listen to this. You can tell when it's idle because you, it's what you spend your most time doing. Are you spending most of your time working hard to, to pay that off? That is, you know, there's got to be a good balance. You know, majority should be the God, the things of God. Your heart should be set on the heavenlies. We know we got to live in this life. We know we got to work. We know we got to pay our bills and for a house and a car. We know all these things. But be careful, it doesn't become that God. They look differently. There was a revival. We need a revival like this. I don't think God's done using us. It's interesting in 1 Kings chapter 12, 1 through 2, God speaks of Josiah 300 years before he's born. Now, the kingdom was given to Saul as the first king. It was given from, you know, Saul, it was taken away from Saul and given to King David. King David gives it to Solomon. Solomon gives it to Rehoboam. Rehoboam, you know, he didn't, he didn't use wisdom, so then the kingdom was divided. And so Rehoboam takes one side, which is the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam takes the north. And you know what Jeroboam does? He takes the golden calf and he says, worship this, this is your God. Now listen to what 1 Kings says here, 12, 1 to 2. It says, by the word of the Lord... A man of God came. I love it when the Bible says that. A man of God came, you know. From Judah to Bethel, that area of Dan. As Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering, he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord. Oh, altar, altar. This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David, and on you he will sacrifice the priest of the high places who now make offerings here and human bones will be burned on you. Woo! 300 years before. That's why Josiah burns those bodies. He doesn't want anybody to use them for cultic worship or some superstition. And as he's moving from town to town, from area to area, and he's just moving up towards the north, you know, Revivals in the air. It spreads. I love it. There, true revival breaks out by getting back in the word of God, and then there's confessions of sin, there's humility, there's repentance. Right? And then there's, there's, a, there's, there's a reformation that takes place in your soul. We call it holiness. We don't like to say that word to church because, oh, holiness. You know? Holiness. A heart that desires to please God and to live for God. And then it spreads. Oh, I would love to see that here. It begins with you and I first. It continues this amazing story of Josiah. Second Chronicles 34 verse 8 says this, In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, he purified the land and the temple. He sent Shaphan to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So now he's older now. He's 26 and he wants to restore the temple. And, and what he does now is that he, he sets up an offering, uh, a box. 
And he asked the people, those who want to give, please give. I mean, and they give. The people give. They're excited about the revival. They're excited about this work. And so they all pitch in and they all give. And so he hires men and he puts overseers to restore the nation of his, uh, the temple, I should say. And so for the sake of time, we're, we're going to move down to verse 19. We just don't have that time to read all those verses. Plus, all those names are so hard to read. Anyway. <laughs> uh, verse 19, when the king heard the words of the law, this is what they find inside the temple as they're working. They're working in the temple and they're building it and they find a scroll and maybe several scrolls. And they're shocked because it's the word of God. They give it to the priest. He gives it to Shaphan and Shaphan brings it to Josiah. And he says, read it to me. Most scholars believe it's Deuteronomy 28 where it says the blessings for obedience and the cursings for disobedience. Ooh, have you ever read that? I'm glad I'm not Jewish. You know, you know? Listen, they had to do to receive. We get to believe and receive way different different covenant but the curses oh my when you read that you're like so verse 19 you're going to read you're going to read here when the king heard the words of the law he tore his robes he's like oh he gave these orders to go and inquire of the lord for me and for the remnant in israel and judah about what is written in this book that has been found Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. And Helkiah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Hulda. Now, Hulda is from Sweden, and I'm kidding. <laughs> She's not from Sweden. She's... It's interesting because Manasseh had killed all the prophets, the male prophets. There's Jeremiah, of course, and Zephaniah. I don't know where they're at, so but they go to this amazing woman of God, the prophetess Huldah. And they go to her, and they're seeking for wisdom from her. And so it says this in verse 23, she said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, tell the man who sent you to me, that would be Josiah. This is what the Lord says, I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses that are written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me to anger by all that their hands have made. My anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Serious consequences. That's the relationship they had. That's the relationship they wanted. When they came out of Egypt, they said, we want you, God, as our God, and we will obey everything that you say. And he goes, no, 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 no. You guys are stiff-necked people. You guys are rebellious. You don't want that. They're like, no, we want it. And he's like, okay, here's the rules. <laughs> Deuteronomy 28, blessings for obedience. By the way, if they followed God, tremendous blessings. That's where the church wants to take that, you know, and apply it to the church, health, wealth, I mean the whole thing. So they, they, they try to take those verses and apply it to the church, but that's not how it works. That was for Israel. That's a covenant for Israel, not for 
not for the church. We have a different covenant. <laughs> Believe, receive. It doesn't promise you health and wealth. And by, by the way, I still pray for health and wealth. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Verse 26. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robe and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your father, uh, fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. Here's a kid that dedicated himself to the Lord and now has prolonged the wrath of God in his lifetime. 39 years, there will be no wrath of God being poured out on the nation of Israel. One kid, one kid who was obedient to God the Bible, you know it, it's everywhere. If we would bow down and confess our sins, God would forgive us. If we repent and turn to him, he would forgive us. Even if he's looking at one person in the nation of the United States of America, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> if you're looking at that one person. But you could be that one person. I always tell that to the young adults. You could be that one person. You know, they always sit over there, so I'm pointing over there. You know? <laughs> You're that one person that can push back the wrath of God upon the United States of America. It could be one of us. Why not? If we would humble ourselves, if we would do the things that Josiah did here. He, 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 in his heart, he saw himself broken, so he rips his clothes. And he comes before God, and he just cries out. He says, God, we have sinned against you and you alone. Verse 29, of course, Reformation. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites and all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. I love it. Brings the word of God out. It's the word of God that's going to change lives, guys. The power of the Holy Spirit takes his word, goes deep within the soul and boom. I don't know how it works. That's the way the Lord promised it works. The word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, goes deep within the soul, breaks up everything within our soul to know who God is and how to please him and how to live for him. He reads the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord, verse 31. The king stood by the pillar. Oh, I love this. I love pillar moments. I love altar moments. <laughs> I do, you know. When, when, when Samson holds the pillar, you know, suffer me, son, that I might put my hands on the pillar. You know, I, just, I, I love those. Here he is, on the pillar. 
and he's crying out to God. He says this, he stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments, regulation and decrees with all his heart and all his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in the book. And he made this vow to himself before God and to God. I will keep this I will follow you with all my heart, might, and soul. When was the last time you prayed that? Oh, man. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem in verse 32, and Benjamin pledged themselves to it. I love it. Here, here it is. He did it. The priest did it. The tribe of Benjamin did it pledged themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in the accordance with the covenant of God. The people wanted it. The God of their fathers, it says there in verse 33, Josiah removed all the detestable. Here's the, the summary of his life. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. Everyone was serving the Lord they're not making excuses. You don't know. I got a lot to do. I work 24-7. You know, I, you know, I go to school. I got to, you know, oh my goodness, really? I don't even want to talk this way, but let me, let me just say it. That way you won't say it to me. <laughs> if I come up to you and ask you to serve and you say, oh, I'm, I'm really busy with my life. I have golf lessons and I have <laughs> volleyball and I, I'm like... God, forgive me how I think about this person. So now, I've said it, okay? So. <laughs> Israelite and all who were present in Israel served the Lord their God. They were willing to serve God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their fathers. I believe God has something greater for you and I. There's something left for you and me to accomplish. For some, we have left our first love. We are distracted. But the lover of our soul, Jesus, is calling us back. I want to read you this story in conclusion here. It was a bright Sunday morning in the 18th century in London, Robert Robinson, his mood was anything but sunny. <laughs> Everywhere he looked, there were happy people smiling and waving at one another on their way to church. But Robinson wasn't one of them. In fact, he was very lonely and unhappy. He was an unhappy man. The sound of the church bells reminded him of the time in his life when his faith was strong and the church meant so much to him. But that seemed like only a distant memory on this particular morning. It had been years since he had been, that he had even set foot in the church. He had gotten away from the Lord and spent the last several years disillusioned and wandering farther and farther away from God that he had once loved so much. His love for God that was once so hot and passionate had slowly burned out, leaving him 
dark and cold inside. Robinson heard the click-clop, click-clop of the horse-drawn carriage approaching from behind him. Turning, he lifted his hand to hail the driver. Hey, pay attention. But then he saw that the cab was occupied by a young woman dressed in her Sunday's best, who was obviously on the way to church. He waved to the driver, go on, move on, move on. But the woman in the carriage ordered the driver to stop the carriage, which he did. The woman looked at Robinson and said, Sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you. Are you going to church? <laughs> he was about to decline her offer, but then he, pa he paused and said, Yes, I'm going to church, and I would appreciate a ride. He stepped into the carriage and sat down beside the young woman. Robert Robinson introduced himself to the young woman and thanked her for her kindness. He noticed that when he told her his name, the woman had a strange look on her face. Then she said, <laughs> that's an interesting coincidence. She then reached into her purse and took out a small book of inspirational writings that she had been reading on the way to church. And she opened the book and handed it to him and said, I was just reading a verse by a poet by the name of Robert Robinson, are you him? <laughs> he took the book, nodding, yes. I wrote these words years ago. He was 22. Oh, how wonderful, she exclaimed. Imagine I'm sharing a carriage with the author of these very lines. But Robinson barely heard it. He was absorbed in the words he was reading. They were words that would one day be set into music and become a great hymn of the faith. These are the words he read. Come thou fount of every blessing. Turn my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for song of loudest praise. His eyes slipped to the bottom of the page where he read, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take it and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. He could barely read the last few lines through the tears that welled up in his eyes. He looked at the young woman and said, I wrote these words, and I have lived these words, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. But the young woman responded by saying, you also wrote, here's my heart, oh, take it and seal it. <laughs> you can offer your heart again to God, Mr. Robinson. It's not too late. And it wasn't too late for Robert Robinson. In that moment, like the people in Josiah's day, turned his heart back to God and walked with him for the rest of his life. Amen. Where are you in your walk with the Lord today? Like the hymn writer who have, have you found yourself drifting away from the Lord's arm of love? Has your love for the Lord, which was once so hot, grown cold? God's message for you this morning is that new beginnings are possible, just like in the time of Josiah, king of Judah, just like in the Jesus movement in the 70s that we hear so much about. 
God longs to draw wayward children back home. God longs to stoke the flame of revival in our hearts. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you humbly, Lord. We, we uh, after reading that, Lord, I understand. <laughs> prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love, Lord. It, I'm so distracted, Lord. I've been caught up with the cares of the world, and, and for that I, I am sorry. And I pray for this church, Lord. I know that there are so many here, Lord, that feel the same way, Lord. Lord, we turn away from our deeds. We turn away for our passions for this world to change them to the passions of loving you. Will you do that once again in our hearts, Lord? That's what we want, Lord. We want to see a work of grace in our lives. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Transform us. Cleanse us. Make us new. Remind us of our great Savior's love for us, who adores us, who loves us, who loves to hear from us every single moment. And I pray for your people. This morning, Lord, we pray for revival. Bring revival to us, Lord. Bring a word to us, Lord, that would keep us on the straight and narrow. Bring us back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.